God is so good. He has a plan and a purpose. Well, there's a, there's a theme going on right now, and I'm hearing it. Uh, it is a theme of my sermon here, too, but I've been hearing it amongst the body, and I'm very, very encouraged. And uh, as we get into it, we're going to see that many of you, as I've talked to you throughout the last week or two, uh, we are all on the same page. And I want to just say this, even just from our worship here, from this worship service that we just had, which was amazing, I want to say this, God is not far. I want you to say it out loud, because sometimes your spirit man knows something, but your mind needs to hear it from your spirit. Say, God is not far. The Bible says in Acts 17, 27, it says that God, he was looking for people to seek him, right? His purpose was that the nations would seek after God, and they would find their way to him, because the Bible says he is Though he is not far from any one of us. The Bible says that God is not far from us, is he? I also want to make a second statement that is joined together with that, which is that he is not hidden from us. The only times that God hides, come on, who knows your Bible, is for what purpose? Why does God hide? To be sought out. He does not hide in a way that you cannot find him. He hides to be sought. God wants to be near us. He is not far. He wants you to be close to him. That is his purpose. We can even go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, which I touch on so many times, but it's where it all began. And we can see that God created Adam and Eve for fellowship. They had so many freedoms and blessings that we crave, right? And we're going to have them in eternity in an even better way than Eden, in a greater Eden, right? We call Jesus is the second Adam. It's going to be even greater than what we think they, you know, this thing that they had, you know, no, no suffering, you know, no pain, just, just be with the animals, be with each other. That's it. Just love each other and have dominion. Sounds pretty amazing, doesn't it? And we're going to have an even greater uh, place in Christ, amen, in heaven, forever. And But what was the purpose? Why did God make them? It wasn't just for all those things, but it was to be, God wanted them to have fellowship with him. God is so jealous for us. He loves us so much. He wants to be with us. God wants to know you. And so he is not far. He is not hidden. And then lastly, as I get into the sermon today, I want to make a third statement. He never leaves us and never forsakes us. I want you to say it out loud. He never leaves us and he never forsakes us. Who feels like God has left you at times in your life? Let's just be honest. Have you felt like, who has said it out loud? Who has prayed, God, I know my word, but I, I know it, but it still feels like you're forsaking me right now. I, I know I'm going to repent by even just saying it, but I still need to just tell you anyway, it doesn't feel like you're close to me right now. It feels like you have forsaken me. We've all done it. And the truth is this. Doesn't matter what you see. Doesn't matter what you feel. I touched on it a little bit last week, but I need to say it again. This reality is not real. Eternity is real. God is real. Your spirit man 
is real. Your flesh is temporary. Your flesh will die. This body will go in the ground. That's, it was designed by God to inhabit, I mean, for your spirit to inhabit. And when sin entered, God said, I'm going to make you a new body that's, that's going to be uncorrupted, right? Praise the Lord. And we're getting a new body that is not corrupted by sin, but this body will die, which means what is more real? What you can see and feel or your spirit? If your spirit goes on to eternity, but what you can see and feel does not, what is more real? And we, just, we must be reminded of this because the enemy wants to get us so focused on the here and now. And even on just a, a little micro example, because we're only talking about seconds, and you'll see what I'm talking about in just, just a moment. We have Peter. He's in the boat. Jesus is standing on the waves. And Peter steps over the boat. He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. The Lord says, come to me. He steps over the boat, and he begins to walk on the water. Now, reality became less, uh, let's say, real. I don't have the right language, but reality was no longer reality, and the spirit became Peter's reality for a moment. For a moment, Peter is walking literally... We say we walk in the Spirit, walk in the flesh, you die. I touched on that last week. Walk in the Spirit, you live. And we don't think of that as a literal thing. We think of that as like, you know, a mental state of mind that we keep ourselves in Christ and we're not letting our mind be corrupted by the enemy and his plans and, and his, his ideas and concepts, right? We call it, that's living in the Spirit, living according to the Word. But Peter actually walks in the Spirit in his flesh. And what's the Bible say? Because he set his eyes on Christ. The Bible says it tells us exactly why it worked. It says that he looked, he took his eyes off of Christ and began to look at what was around him, specifically the storms of life. Everybody say the storm in my life is clouding my vision. All right, began, he began to look at the waves and the wind, and it says he began to sink. Wow. And so I, I just, I want us to, to hear this. God's word is more real. It is more real than what you see and what you feel. Even though when you sit and pray and you say, okay, Lord, I believe your word, and we pray, God is not a magician. God does not stand on a stage for you to sit in the audience and watch him do a magic trick. And sometimes I think, maybe it's just me, that I expect God to answer my prayer like it's a magic trick. Like it hasn't happened yet. And God's saying to us, you're looking too closely. You need to now just let me be God and let me answer your prayer in my time and in my fashion, in my way, for my purpose and for my glory. And we're looking for him to just do it. And if it doesn't happen in one second, right, we're the microwave generation, right, or the 500-channel TV generation, 
right? The internet wasn't fast enough. Put it in your pocket, right? It wasn't good enough for us to have internet. Remember when we first had it in our homes? It was like, my friend has internet in his house, <laughs> right? Then it came to your pocket, right? So that's our, our human nature expects everything instantaneously. So partly, God's really not offended with us. He's really not judging you for being like that. It doesn't mean it's okay, and it doesn't mean we don't need to deal with it, but God's actually giving us grace. He does understand our flesh. That's what the Bible says. He knows us. He knows his sheep. He knows our weaknesses, right? That's what the Word says in multiple verses, multiple ways, that he understands our weaknesses. He helps us in our weaknesses. So I need to say this. Even though it feels like he's left you and it feels like he's forsaken you, and I'm, I don't even want to say this. I don't want to say it because I know what it means, but you may feel that for 20 years. It might be a lifetime. There might be things that you think God has failed you and you die. You go to your grave thinking God never answered that particular prayer, whatever that is. We need to let God be God in that type of way, though, because he is not. Listen, that is only in your perception, in your reality. And I mentioned this, it was either last week or the week before. I think it was last week I mentioned this. Just stop and consider again the children of Israel that were in slavery in Egypt. They were praying, Lord, deliver us from this bondage. And they died. And the next generation came up, Lord, deliver us from this bondage. And that generation died. D guys, we know our word. Did God fail the children of Israel? That's God did not fail. Only that generation perceived, if they were looking in the flesh, that God failed them. But we are spirit. I've often thought, Lord, I think about a soldier who goes to war and he dies and lays down his life. He's got his own family at home, his own wife and children, and he dies. And he does it for the nation, for other families, and for his children's families that aren't even here yet. And we could look and just say, man, you know, this was just a, a, a senseless death. This was, you know, this is not right. This death was... You know, this person's life was robbed. We need to just step back and we just see from God's perspective for a moment that there's so much more to your life than just this life. That that person who lays their life down, the Bible says that's the greatest love. So they've actually lived, they've actually expressed Christ. We don't understand, this doesn't make sense, but they've expressed Christ in the highest level literally giving their life for others. Our perception and our reality is false. God's word is true. It's, this is, I'm preaching this sermon to myself, too, because in my, my own mind, I'm, I'm asking God questions and struggling like all of us. We're all just hum, humans on the earth like each other and all going through different things, and I have all kinds of questions for God, just like we all do about it, whatever situations are in your life. And I need to get to the place, just like I'm preaching to you today, that you need to get to the place where we say, Lord, I will die believing your word is true, even if, and I've said this before, it needs to be said again, even if I never see it. 
I refuse to not believe it. That's the place of faith that God wants us to be in. That's not weird faith. That is, we need to see it from God's perspective. We need to see that God is faithful. He said he is. If he said it, then he means it. Who believes that God does what he says? If there's anybody in the universe that does what they say, listen, there's a lot of liars. The devil's a liar, and a lot of us like acting like the devil sometimes. We've all lied. God is not a liar, my word says. He's the only, I don't want to call him a thing, only entity, I don't want to call him that either, but he is God, and he does not lie. He is the only one in all of creation, in all of the universe, that does not lie. And if he says it, he means it. And I just want us to look quickly, I'm going to keep moving here, but in Joshua 1, I was reminded of, in these, this, this concept of him never leaving, never forsaking us, this is probably the most famous uh, scripture here that just points to us for that exact phrase directly. And it says, Joshua 1, uh, verse 5, he says to Joshua, no one's going to be able to stand against you as long as you live. He says, for I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. I will not fail you, and I will not abandon you, the NLT says, or many of us know it in more traditional text, I will not leave you nor forsake you. He gives him a promise. He gives Joshua a promise here in verse 5. I will not leave you, and I will not forsake you. And then he tells him in verse 6, to be strong and courageous. He tells Joshua to be strong and courageous. Why? I want you to be strong. I want you to be filled with courage. Why? Well, because of what I just said in verse 5. I will be with you. You know, when we, when we get weak and when our strength fails... We need to go back to the Lord. It's so simple. Just because the answer is hard to do doesn't mean it's not the right answer. Just because sometimes it's complicated to get to the simplicity of the answer doesn't mean that's not the answer. Sometimes it's hard to get back to Jesus. We just feel like there's so much stuff we have to get back, we have to sort through to get back to that simplicity of I just trust you, but it's still the answer. It's still always the answer. That's verse 5. Verse 6, I'm with you, and now listen, now, now I said that first to be kind, because let's just reverse it now. That means when I'm not strong and I'm not courageous, what is, what's happening? I don't believe God's with me. I think God has forsaken me, he's left me. They, they hinge together. The two things are hinged together. My courage and my strength comes from me believing that he's with me. But if I believe it or not, has it changed? This is what's amazing. I mean, I'm encur who's encouraged by that? Do you know that even if you are in fear, even if your courage is gone and you don't have any strength, God's promise stays the same, that he is with you. Now, you don't feel it because you don't believe it, but God is still with you. Who's encouraged already by that? You can read uh, just for time. I'm going to just go quickly here, but verse 7, he tells him again. He tells him a second time. Be strong and courageous. And then he tells them to obey the instruction. There's plenty of sermons in all this. We're not going to focus on that today, but uh, to obey me, don't deviate. Uh, he says, you'll be successful. Study this book, meditate on it. And he says, only then you're going to prosper and succeed. And he tells them a third time, verse 9, this is my command, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. 
for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, I noticed something. I was just going to bring this in as just like an intro to my sermon today, and I was just stuck. Something struck me, and because I'm hearing it in New King James. most I preach out of NLT because it's very easy just to preach from. I can preach in very, you know, mo more modern English, but I hear it in New King James all the time because that's what I was born and raised with. That's what I read and memorized with, and I was like, no, the, verse 9 is different. In the New King James, can, we can bring it up. It doesn't take away its power, but I, I saw something here, and, and I know why they translate the way they do. I went back and looked, and, it, and, and you could argue about, well, they put it in this English, English and that English for whatever reason. doesn't really matter. I saw something that the Lord was saying to us today. He said, have I not commanded you? And when I, I was hearing it in my spirit, and I said, Lord, there's something to this, and then I realized... The Lord was not saying, didn't I just command you two different times, and now I'm telling you a third time. It all of a sudden struck me. And I was like, no, he said this before. He's telling him something that he has said before. And I, I said, that's right. I went back to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy 31, verse 7 says, Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, be strong and courageous. Verse 8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Now Joshua 1, 1, you can pull that back up in the NLT. So this is Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. Joshua 1, 1, it says this. What's that say? After the death of Moses. So the Lord told him three times, I'm going to be with you, don't be afraid. But the third time he said, haven't I told you this before? I was so encouraged by this. I kind of, like I said, I stumbled upon this by accident, and I don't want to make a whole sermon out of this, because I still want to, I'm still moving us forward into something else here. But I want to make this point. The Lord has told us over and over and over again, and it's very easy for our humanity to forget. I've said it many times, right? You leave church on Sunday, you're all encouraged. By Monday morning, you know, we need another Sunday morning again. Maybe that's why the church met constantly. Maybe that's why they were there with each other every single day. Because we need it. We need to be constantly reminded. And the Lord was actually telling Joshua, I was with Moses, and then I told Moses to tell you that I'm going to be with you. And now I'm telling you myself again. I was encouraged by this because isn't the Lord gracious to us? Isn't the Lord kind to us? The Lord says, I'm with you, and we believe him, and we go through a moment of transition. Don't you think? Joshua, was, he was probably, there was probably some things going on in his heart. He definitely trusted God. He does go in to the promise. He does actually bring the people in the promised land. Moses did not. But there was probably some things going on in his heart. There's probably some questions. He's probably wondering, how is this going to work? Because Moses was the leader. Moses is the one that delivered them from Egypt. He's the one that did all the signs and all the miracles by God's power, of course. But 
Moses did it, and now it's Joshua, and now the, he's, the Lord says to him, Moses is dead. Moses is gone. I was with him, and I encouraged you through him. I'm coming to you myself. And I was just, I was encouraged. The Lord, he tells us, and he tells us, and he tells us, and we all, the Lord is speaking to your heart personally. That's what I'm trying to say. He has said it. It's in his word. It's been, there's been sermons, right? Sermons, they tell you over and over and over again to have faith, to trust God, right? There's song after song after song after song about God's faithfulness. And then what do we do? As soon as something happens, whose first inclination, come on, I, I, you got to come up here and we're just going to give you a medal. Whose first inclination is just to praise the Lord besides Jeannie and Dan? besides these older, older ones here, Jimmy too. First inclination is to praise the Lord. All of us, the rest of us, we, we feel fear. We feel anxiety. We feel anxious. We feel frustrated. We feel anger. Whatever the emotions are, then because we're mature believers, right, we repent. We get before the Lord. We praise him. We seek him. We love him. But the first inclination is always flesh, isn't it? Our first inclination is flesh is to be afraid. You know, the Bible says, be, be angry and don't sin. Ever, anybody ever wondered about that? How's that possible? That's a human emotion, right? I would say the same thing. Be afraid, but trust God. It's been said this way, and I think it's amazing. It says, do it afraid. Whatever the thing is that you need to do, we just talked about this, right, Jeannie? We were just talking about this again fresh uh, yesterday. Do it afraid. I heard about somebody who, um, they overcame some incredible obstacles, you know, Olympic-style stuff. I don't, I don't remember which, um, which sport it was in, but they said that their mother um, gave them this advice when they were young, and it's what they've lived by, which is that, I'm afraid, so their mother said, then do it afraid, which means the fear doesn't change, but you do it anyway. Come on, praise the Lord. I, I'm still afraid, but I do it anyway. And going back to Peter there, did the wind and the waves cease? They never ceased in that story. You know, Jesus easily just spoke to the wind and the waves, and they ceased, right? That's a different story. In this case, the wind and the waves, they don't cease. But keeping his eyes on Christ, he could walk through the storm. So I just want us to be encouraged that the Lord's with us. And he's coming to you personally. If you've heard it in sermons, you've heard it, you're going to hear it from me today, but the Lord wants to speak to your heart personally what he's already told you. Now let it get inside you personally. And that's, that's all. I'm going to leave that there. I'm just going to keep moving on. But we don't need to... There are so many things that we believe, and I just wanted to... I was just meditating on this. We all believe that Jesus died on the cross, and we all believe that he's going to come again right? Did anybody see him die on the cross? Did anybody see them pen down the word so that you can believe them? But suddenly we need God to prove himself in our personal situations. We believe this incredible story. It's really a crazy story. Do you ever just stop and think about how insane it is? We believe that God sent his son from heaven and let humans kill him. He was born of a virgin, right? There's a star leading the wise men, and they give him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
You ever just stop and think about how strange the story is? And we're like, oh yeah, that's the gospel. We believe that. But then we go through something and we're like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I can trust God in this situation. I just, because I don't understand it. That's what we say. If I can only understand, then I would trust God. And God's saying, do you understand the star leading the wise men? Do you understand how I put Jesus into Mary's womb and how I'm going to come again on the clouds? I mean, it's so funny that we think we need to understand to believe him, but yet we, there's so many things we don't understand and we believe, and we need to get to that place in every single area where we just say, Lord, I know you're with us. I know you're not going to leave us. You're not going to forsake us. You'll never fail us. And so Tom, this is amazing. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, we live by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. Come on, let's just say it out loud. We walk by faith, not by sight. And yet, when the situation arises, whatever it is, what do we do? <laughs> we walk by sight. We say it, we believe it, and then we forget it. The Lord's encouraging you today. That's okay. The Lord's not offended with us. He's encouraging us today. Amen. He's encouraging us today again. It's okay that you've been walking by sight, but I want you to walk by faith. It's for your benefit and for those around you that you do. The God's not going to change. God in heaven does not change. Come on, isn't this amazing? It says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Which means that all his promises which says that his promises are true, are also the word is Christ. Christ is the word made flesh. So let's just take it. Come on, let's just do some simple reasoning here. That means that the word is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means when God says things like, I will not leave you nor forsake you, we must believe God, even though the devil is trying to convince us with all of his minions and with all the world's power that he can throw at you. You're like a little tiny minnow in Niagara Falls, it feels like. He throws so much stuff at you to get you to try to live by sight and not by faith that you think it's impossible to live by faith right now. He's just bombarding. Who's, who feels bombarded by the enemy at times? It's like, I, Lord, and that, you know, I pray this prayer, and I I'd encourage you to do the same. I believe, but help me in my unbelief. All right, that's what the man said to Jesus. So I say the same thing. I believe, but Lord, this is all the faith I can give you right now. It's not much, and he says, perfect. I only need a mustard seed. That's all I need. And we just give him what we have, and he will encourage you. He will meet you where you're at. Aren't we so thankful he meets us where we're at? I, I want to read to us a story for the, uh, as we're rounding third into home base here. I want to read us a story to bring this sermon together. It's one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. It's so amazing. Who loves the story of Elijah? We love hearing about the feats he did and the amazing things he did. But I just wanted to, I just want to review. I want, I want you to go with me 
uh, either on the screen or uh, in your Bibles to 1 Kings 18. And I'm going to just do a lot of summing up because I don't, we don't have time to go through all of it. You can go through it on your own. But it's amazing because 1 Kings 18, this is what happens. I'm just going to kind of tell you the story and I'll read some verses. Basically, God tells Elijah, I want you to pray that it doesn't rain. I think this is amazing too because just a couple of weeks ago, you know, I want to, the Lord, we bring different sermons each week, but we're also, you know, it's the same word, it's the same gospel. I need to remind us of what the Lord spoke to us a few weeks ago, which is that there's God in heaven, he's on the throne, and there's us on the earth. Don't you love the interaction between God in heaven and us on the earth? That he uses us. Don't you think that God can just have the rain stop on his own? Why did Elijah need to pray? I don't, I don't, I don't even have the full answer, and I think lots of people come up with really smart answers for that. Let's not focus on what that is, except that God said, I want you to pray. Let's just look at it on the surface. Elijah says, yes, Lord, and he does it. And what happens? God said, pray it doesn't rain. And what happened? It didn't rain. It's amazing. So just like God said it would, it doesn't rain. What happens when it doesn't rain? They get into a drought. Now, Elijah's suffering along with this drought, wasn't he? He's being fed at the, the river by the raven, as I've mentioned many times throughout this year, but he's being, you know, he's got the water there and the stream, and he's got the raven bringing him food. That sounds yummy. And then he, when that stream dries up, <laughs> he, goes, he goes to the, to the widow, right, Zarephath, and, and then there she's also blessed by his presence. Uh, he's fed, she's fed, the Lord takes care of them. But the Bible says that in the third year of the drought, in 1 Kings 18, he says to Elijah, I want you to go to Ahab, and I want you to tell him that I'm going to send rain soon. So what's he do? He goes to Ahab. He says the Lord's going to send rain. And what I want you to do is I want you to summon all of your priests, all of your demonic priests, the priests of Baal. I want you to bring them. We're going to meet on the mountain. And we're going to have a contest. And we're going to see who's God. He says, to them, how long are you going to hobble between two opinions? Are you going to believe that God is God, or are you going to believe that you are false gods? This world, really, Baal is the gods of this world. Come on, I just want you to say this out loud. The gods of this world. They bow their knee to the God of, of the world. Amen. The capital G God is God. And the nation had been bowing their knee to this false god Baal, and to Asherah. And so 850 prophets show up, 450 for Baal, 400 for Asherah, and they were Jezebel's prophets. Now, we love this story because what happens? The Bible says in 1 Kings 18 that in this contest, he says, okay, you get a bull, I'm going to get a bull. Go ahead you sacrifice your bull. I want you to pray to your false god, Baal, to, for him to send fire and consume your sacrifice. They dance around all day. They do their, their magic and their witchcraft. And, and what do you think happens? Nothing. Nothing except a whole bunch of noise, a big bunch of mess. And so Elijah's making fun of them uh, along the process, which I love. He says, maybe your God's relieving himself. I think that's hilarious that the Bible says funny things like that. Right? Maybe, maybe your God is, maybe he's late because he's relieving himself. He's using the bathroom. That's what it says. That's amazing. That's hilarious. 
But Elijah says, now, verse 30, he says, come over here. And they crowded around him. And I love this. It says they repair the altar of the Lord. So he doesn't just put on any altar, but he prepares the altar of the Lord. And he takes 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And I'm just going to breeze through because it's so late in the, in the day as usual. And, but go ahead and read this story because it's an amazing story. And then he digs a trench around, it says in verse 32, and he puts water, three gallons of water on. It, goes, it even fills all around. There's so much water he pours on top just to make the miracle more powerful. And there's other implications here, too, of the Holy Spirit. And he piles the wood, and he piles it on the altar. And then he prays. It says, verse 36, at the usual time. So some things got brought back into order. Some things were out of order, and Elijah's about to restore some order. He, he fixes the altar, and at the usual time, which had been neglected, he brings th some things back into order, and it says he walked up to the altar. He says, oh, God, he says, prove today. Just, I'm just breezing through here. Prove today that I've done all this at your command. Lord, answer me. And answer these people so they know that you're Lord. And it says, verse 38, that immediately the fire comes down. It burns up everything. It doesn't even just burn up the sacrifice. It's an absolute miracle because it says it burns up the bull, the wood, the stones, and even the dust on the ground. Even all the water is licked up in the trench. There's nothing left. And so the people, they see it. They cry out. And they say, the Lord, he's God. Then Elijah grabs all the prophets and he slaughters all of them. This is an amazing moment. What a powerful, powerful moment. And then the Bible says, he says to Ahab in the same chapter, Ahab, listen to me. You better get your things in order you go, because there is a rainstorm coming. I just saw the Lord move so mightily, and I, and I know God's going to do it. And then there's a second sermon in here. Right? The, what's he do? Elijah gets up on Mount Carmel, and he begins to pray. He puts his face down on the ground, and he begins to seek God, the same God that just uh, did some, so many miracles in his life so far, the same God that had raised right, the widow's son from the dead, that same God he believes is going to move now and do what he said he would do. And he sends his servant seven times to go check to see if his prayers are, are doing anything yet. And finally, the prayer begins to interact with the environment of the earth, and a cloud the size of a man's hand uh, is there, he says, and Elijah's faith, he's filled with faith. That's all he needs. He jumps up, he runs, and, he's, uh, and he runs faster than Ahab in his chariot. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Wow. Wow. I want you to look with me at chapter 19, verse 1. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Verse 3. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. 
I don't think a lot of people preach these sermons, chapter 18 and 19 together. Who's heard two separate sermons there, or sermon series in chapter 18? Lots of sermons about fire coming down, lots of sermons about praying until it rains. Not a lot of sermons about chapter 19 uh, tied together. We've had lots of sermons about him going and hearing the voice of God, which you know, if you know your word, is in 19. But they're tied together. He does these amazing miracles. <laughs> Two back-to-back miracles. And he's, he is so fearless that he slaughters the 850 priests of Jezebel without fear. And now from one single threat from Jezebel that I'm going to kill you? Why would he be afraid of her? And why would he be afraid that she could kill him? He just killed 850 of her servants. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. Now listen, it doesn't end there. He, it says, verse 4, He went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. The same Elijah that just brought down fire from heaven and prayed, changed the weather. Come on. All you conspiracy theorists out there that think that the government's changing the weather. Elijah didn't need any devices up in Alaska. All he needed to do was just pray, and apparently it could rain. And that same Elijah now is saying, Lord, kill me. He said, I've had enough, Lord. I've had enough. I've said many times, and this won't be the last, I don't know what your straw is that breaks the camel's back, but every single person has one. I don't care who you are. I don't care how great your faith is. We're talking Elijah. Elijah doesn't even die. Elijah's about to get on a chariot, a golden chariot of fire, and go to heaven on a fast track. That Elijah still had a straw that broke the camel's back. Even that Elijah has a breaking point. And it's because, listen to me very closely, your faith is not your strength. Your faith is in God. And at times, your flesh will get the best of you. God will never leave you and never forsake you. And if your faith is in him and not in your faith, then even when you feel like I am so filled with faith that I can do anything, I can pull down fire from heaven and I can call rain on the earth when it's been a drought, but at this moment, I've had enough. Who's ever said to the Lord, I've had enough? Who's ever wanted to die? I, sometimes I say to the Lord, I don't mean that in like a, like I would commit suicide, but I'd rather just go to heaven. That's what we say, right? I'd rather just be in heaven. Lord, I, I would just, I, I'm kind of on enough of this world and all of its pains and miseries. I'd rather just be in heaven. You know, there's a purpose to why you're here. If you were just going to be in heaven, the Lord would do that. And the, well, the amazing thing is the Lord... It, kind of answers that prayer for Elijah in time. Not yet, but in, in the right time. 
But I want you to see this as we close, and we, we could get it deeper into it if the Lord has us to next week, but let me just close this out with this. You know the story. This same Elijah, he lays there, and he's just utterly, he is, he's had enough. He's, he's done. He, he, is so, he is so frustrated. He is so done that he, he, he you ever been to the place you don't even have the strength to get up, and you just, you just fall asleep in your frustration. Who's ever fallen asleep in your anger? I'm talking like really frustrated. I mean, it just puts you out. This sucks the energy out of your life. And the Bible says that an angel came. Come on. Come on, guys. Listen, we fail God. He does not fail us. His word doesn't change. Even when... You serve God, you trust God. When your faith wanes, God's power doesn't. Isn't that amazing? An angel comes. I need to hear some amens from that. I know we don't do a lot of amens in this church. We need some more. Isn't that amazing? The angel says, get up, and he feeds him, gives him food and water. I believe it was manna. That's just my, my opinion because it's supernatural, and then he lays down again. He says he touched him and says, you need to eat some more for the journey ahead of you. Feeds him again. Isn't the Lord kind to us? And he's willing. He didn't come and say, are you kidding me? You must be out of your mind. Are you the same Elijah that trusted me to bring down fire from heaven and prayed for it to rain, and now you're going to lay here like a baby? That's what we would say to each other. We have no grace for each other. God's got so much grace for us. The moment we do anything wrong, that's how we treat each other. That's not today's sermon, but that's just humanity, isn't it? Humanity's got no grace. God has so much grace, especially when somebody follows him. When somebody's doing what he's called them to do. Listen, when the enemy attacks you, this, and, and, and it's like, it's 1215, so I don't have time to get into like a three-part series here. But listen, when the enemy comes, when Jezebel's words hit him, Elijah could do anything that God asked him to do. He trusted God so much, but yet her words had so much power. Just her words, just a threat. She wasn't standing there with an army. She just said, I'm going to kill you. And that hit him so hard that he was done. Just take me home, Lord. When the enemy comes... Sometimes his weights, they are unbearable. You don't need to reason it out. Don't spend, don't even waste time trying to figure out why you're letting the enemy have control in your life at this moment. You just need to let the Lord minister to you and encourage you, and he will get you back up. Who has seen him do it? Who has seen him? You get to that place. And the Lord himself, and that's what I was trying to say at the beginning of the sermon, and I'm bringing it together. He'll speak through Moses, but there is a moment where it's time for you to go and you to move, and when he's ready to have you move and use you, he will speak to your heart, and he will call you directly and tell you, you've heard this before, and I'm telling you now, I'm with you. And I believe the Lord's saying it again today. I believe this was, this was not by accident. Tom, your words, the song choices today, even things that I've heard, Michael sent us a text this week. These are some things tied together that I can hear in this church. 
that everybody is the same thing. Listen, there's the same answer. We must call on the Lord. The title of this sermon was Call on the Lord. This is part two. We just need to call on the Lord. It's so simple, and yet you don't even have the strength to do it. And you, this is what's amazing. Like I said, this is like a five-part series. Because when you don't have the strength to call on him, the Lord sent an angel to get him ready to call on the Lord. Isn't that amazing? He still has to go to the cave. Come on, you know the story. What happens? Because I'll, I'll just fast forward. He ends up at the cave. He goes on this big 40-day journey. I don't know why God made him go 40 days to the mountain. I don't know why he couldn't speak to him right there. Again, lots of things I don't understand. Maybe 40 days to be encouraged and grow and, and be filled with the Spirit. I don't know. But 40 days. And, I, and the reason I don't understand is what I'm about to tell you in a moment. He gets there. What happens? The still, small voice of God speaks. And he tells him, he gives him a fresh outlook on life. He says, you're not the only prophet. And I've got another successor that I'm going to use. And he says, and don't worry. He doesn't say it directly, but he says it indirectly. We know it because we know the word. Don't worry about that Jezebel. He says, whatever Jehu doesn't get, Elisha will get. What's, what is it? What happens? Come on, we just, we just did this as part of our Bible plan. Jehu slaughters every single one of them. It takes a while, takes time for God to answer our prayers. But God heard the cry of his heart. God saw his faithfulness. Come on, I want you to see this. God sees your faithfulness. He saw his faithfulness when he called down fire. God saw that moment, and from that moment, even though he's distraught now, God ignores the flesh now. He sees that moment. He bypasses his low point, encourages him himself personally. This is what the Lord is doing in this church, and reaching in and encouraging your heart directly himself. Please hear this. To put you back on your feet, and he gives him a fresh outlook, and he's like, I'm gonna, I want you to raise up a new king. We're going to raise up a new enemy, and that's going to be for my purpose. It's going to attack Israel, but this is for my purpose. And we're going to raise up Jehu, right? And we're going to use him, right? And what happens? He rides his horse in. He looks at Jezebel, and he says, are you with me? And they throw her down and says her blood splatters on his, ho on his horse, and he tramples her right there on the ground. Listen, God, I don't have time, but I've read some amazing psalms. Yesterday, I was just reading them to Jeannie in Psalm 22. There's a moment where the Lord, it seems like he's not doing anything. And there's like this moment where God stands up from his throne. And if you are Satan, or if you are aligned to Satan, you better watch out. There is a moment when God stands up from his throne. And you go and read some of those Psalms, like Psalm 22, right, Dan? And when he starts, when God starts moving and doing things, it is a, you definitely don't want to be on the wrong side. Definitely want to be on God's side. And when God gets angry at what the enemy has been doing, inflicting on his people, it is a, it's a bad, bad day for the enemy. The Lord is with you. Let me just say this. Let me just close it with that. The Lord is with you. We just need to call on him. And if you don't have the strength to do it, He'll give you supernatural strength to do it. It's still the answer. It's always the answer. And the reason the 40 days is funny is because he said, now go back the way you came. Makes him go all the way 40 days. 
out here to the mountain, and he has to go all the way back, same 40 days, to where he came from. But the point was, he pulled him away, had time with him, gave him a break, and put him back on the road again. Isn't that amazing? I hope you're encouraged today. I'm encouraged. I love the Lord speaking to me, even just personally, to be encouraged. The Lord's with us. It doesn't matter what it looks like, feels like, seems like. Those things are lies. God is alive. Well, I guess I was supposed to push through because it's 1222. So praise God. Amen. We love the Lord. He's so good. He's so faithful. Amen.